Welcome back to the Better Man, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb, and I am really happy, glad, excited that you can join us for today's podcast, and really thrilled that you might be returning for us for a, another podcast. Today's podcast is going to be with one of my mentors, um, Scott Jennings. Scott Jennings from Hagerstown Community College. It's a man that recruited me to play in college, coached me in Legion Baseball, worked for him for four years before I got a head coaching job, and continued to learn a ton from him. He is a Hall of Fame member in the Maryland State Baseball Coach Association. He has over 1,000 wins in his 38-year coaching career. He has over 600 wins at Hagerstown Community College, making him the winningest baseball coach there. He's the second all-time in HEC history in wins. And uh, is a model of consistency. Always been there for whenever I would need him. He plays the game. Expects his players to play the game the right way. Which you hear, you hear, well, you'll hear today in the podcast. As we touch base about how we play the game. Recruiting. And what I believe is his true gift is game management. And I've seen him firsthand the magic that this guy can play with a lineup card and the in-game adjustments that he able is he able to make. Coach Jennings provides some great, great information throughout the podcast. Um, and I just can't thank him enough for all the that he's done for me. He's done for our area. Like I said, over 600 wins at Hagerstown Community College. This is coming up on his 20th year, and he started coaching there in 2001, which was my first season there. And so we're coming up on 20 20 years here. And, um, you know, so he gives a little bit about his consistency to touch base about that. And he's always been one to give credit to his players, and you'll hear that again today. It's just... uh, a mark of a great coach, and again, like I said, one of my mentors, and um, really plow- proud and um, appreciative of Coach Jennings and all he's done for us and us, like our community. Um, thankful for the time he gave me for the podcast. So hopefully you enjoy his talks about the game, how to be consistent, what to look for, and different strategies of how you're preparing for games and what happens when you're trying to make the calls in games. And especially for a kid to think of all the things that go into play when you are making decisions because as a person or a player, those are important to know. Those are important to know like all the things that a coach is thinking about. Because a lot of times, you don't know. And, but it's really out of your control too. But if you have an idea of you thinking, well, I might want to coach this game a certain time. Or I might want to, I want to be a coach in the future. These are great things to start thinking about right now. So I love how he talks about being true to yourself because it's one thing he definitely is. He's very true to himself, and he allows his players to be true to themselves as well. So hopefully you enjoy this. Another great conversation with another great coach, head coach at Hagerstown Community College, Scott Jennings. You know, during when you guys all got shut down, that's something we haven't talked about. Like when you got shut down, we're – were you guys able to do anything, or what were 
you know, did you keep in contact with your, your team at all? Or what did you guys do during that, like, shutdown period when you still were, like, in the spring? Uh, well, we were actually in Florida when that all took place. And uh, MLB bought the facility that we were at. And that was a uh, Thursday, I believe. They called me and said we had 24 hours to get out. And MLB shut down the facility. And we went to a nearby hotel. It was too late in the process to uh, change all the arrangements that we had to get everybody back on, a, on the same flight. So we went to a nearby hotel, fortunately, and uh, we just kind of waited out the next two days. And we got back on a Sunday, which would have been the 5th, March 15th. We had school on Monday, and they shut it down that day uh, as far as school goes. Mm-hmm. At that point, we were, I think originally, it's all kind of a blur now. Originally, they said it was going to be, we were postponed to like early April. There was like a, a date that they did, you know, no one could play till then. Some schools went ahead and shut it down for the year. And then shortly thereafter, the school shut down starting on Tuesday. And uh, then the NJCAA went ahead and canceled the season. So all my communication was uh, text and phone calls. I, I, technically, I, I may have saw a couple guys the day we got back from Florida, the day after we got back from Florida, but not really. I mean, we just collected, I've seen some of them recently because we uh, collected uniforms and, and, and stuff. But, um, it's kind of been, it's been a weird situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I don't know. We hadn't really talked about that, but yeah, it's just a tough thing. Um, did you guys, um, I guess, I guess just with your career and everything, like, I mean, you probably have never seen anything like this. I mean, like, so um, how, you know, how, how do you feel like things are going to happen in the fall? Right now, I think best case scenario for us, uh, and when I say best case, I mean what we're allowed to do. I, right now, uh, I think we're going to be allowed to practice and maybe inner squad. Um, I think baseball is going to be under higher scrutiny than some of the other sports just because of the numbers. We have more right now at 41 kids. We have more athletes than any other sport on campus. So I'm sure that's going to draw attention from, you know, for the protocols. Um, it's all kind of fluid right now. The AD is supposed to, uh, actually supposed to start this week contacting individual coaches on what we can and can't do. The NJCAA says we can play up to 15 scrimmages in the fall, uh, but I don't think that, you know, that's going to happen. Yeah. And of course, now that's dictated by other schools as well. Even if we're allowed to do something that the other schools can't, you know, uh, we're, we're well. right. the biggest thing is going to be at least be allowed to be on the field. Otherwise, you can't take a team for There's no way we can go to January and, and try to take a team. That, that's not fair to anybody. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and so that's what I was thinking. Like, when you think about picking a team and a thing like that, like, like, do you plan on, like, do you, have, have you been in contact with kids, like, are, is, like, everybody playing, like, or do you have some kids that maybe not be playing because they don't have an opportunity? Right, uh, a lot that I'm playing. Um, and some of that was by choice, I believe. 
but in different areas, you know, we have kids not only obviously from the county, but all over the place. And it just depends on the particular situation in that state or or that county, you know, what's going on, what they're doing and what they're allowing. Uh, and they're locally, the local kids have pretty much been able to play. Uh, but uh, I can't speak for everyone. Yeah. Do you feel, do you feel like, um, even if you only can practice, do you feel like your fall ball, your, your practice will be different since it's going to be different. And and a lot of that's going to depend on on any type of restrictions that are put on us. Maybe like, uh, how many guys can be there at one time. You know, you hear all kinds of rumors. So I've tried to block that out and it's hard to do and I tried to block that out and just kind of take it as it comes. It's a very frustrating and coaching perspective because you don't have control over it. Yeah. Most coaches like to have control over what they're doing at the practice. Sure. Um, but, you know, it could be a situation where, okay, you're only allowed to have so many kids there at a time. And that, that can be, you can, there's ways you can work around that, but, and I, I've been thinking of different plans. It's still not the same. Uh, kids may get more individual attention, but take, for instance, if they, you know, you can't just bring outfielders in and have them throw to the bases because you need the infielders for that. You know, it, it's like you can do drills with the outfielders, but sometimes with the outfielders, you need the infielders as well for them to be able to get their full work that they need to do uh, with throwing and cut off stuff that's, you know, important for outfielders, you know, cut off and, and things like that. You, you kind of need them both. Sure. You can do an infield without the outfielder, but it's hard doing an outfield without the infield. Sure. Sure. So pitchers could probably do their own thing uh, as far as bullpens and conditioning and things like that. Do you think, like, with sticking to pitching, like, you know, because typically, you know, I know that you're typically a one-inning guy, like your pitchers get one-inning. Do you think, based on the restrictions and where maybe kids may not be playing as much as what they should have, like, do you feel like you'll throw more guys more? Like, do you think that their, their pitching kind of progression will change? Um, without games, it may. I'm thinking we're probably going to be – they would throw less more often. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, an inning at a time, maybe a pitch down 15, 20 pitches, but they could do that. Let's say it was an inner squad, you know, for a bunch of days in a row, then they could uh, throw a little bit, but do it more often, get more more reps. Uh, but there won't be really any need for anybody to go out there and throw what would be the equivalent of four or five innings because. It's just taking work away from other guys. True. And, uh, you know, you, you don't need to really build them up as much because after fall, they're going to get shut down anyway. So. Sure. So you're going to probably, things will probably look to stay the same? Pretty much, I guess. And there, there's a, there's a check with that too because, and I'm not taking anything away from, someone looking good in one inning, but you know yourself, it, it, that can be deceiving. 
you can go out there and depend on what three guys are throwing to you. You may have a quick inning and look great, but can you do that each inning? And, you know, in a game situation, a real game situation, you know, it's tougher to do, especially when you go through a lineup and now they're coming around the second time. Um, it's tougher. Sure. So only pitching in at time can be the season uh, in a good way, I guess, for the pitchers. Well, sure. Well, especially you never know, like, you know, what part of the lineup you get up, you know, like, what, right. what are they, what, when they get in, you know, they could be facing seven, eight, nine, and the other next kid's going to face one, two, three, you know, so it's, um, you know, that definitely could be tough at times. But I guess that's why if you go the more frequent route, too, you're going to, that all catch up. Right. Yeah. You, you hope it, yeah, it kind of reaches out. It's, it's going to be tough. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is going to be getting the point across from players is, you know, the inner squads and the practices are going to have a lot more importance than because you're not playing actual games. So you need to take it serious with, you know, this is what you're being judged on. Sure. So, so with all these with all these different restrictions and everything, do you think like this is your biggest challenge that you faced in your career in twenty years? At HEC? Yeah, yeah, it probably is. I mean, I, I can't think of anything to compare to. I mean you get different challenges each year, but nothing of this magnitude. Uh, a lot of challenges in the past, I'd say you have some control over and, and maybe it's just making decisions whether it's players or, or, or whatever, or program decisions, but this, you have no control over it. And that's what makes you feel helpless. I mean, who knows what's gonna happen? Nobody knows. Right. And it would be a shame if we get to the spring and we're where we are now. Uh, the, the kids have already lost one year. High school kids have already lost their senior year. You know, the ones that we have lost their senior year. Right. I have guys that lost their freshman and or their, you know, their, or their sophomore year. And if you lose two years, uh, the baseball, that's tough. Yeah. And you go two years, even though some guys are playing in the summers and all, it's, it's not the same. Um, and I'm hoping we don't have to deal with that. That would be catastrophic. Yeah. <laughs> from a roster from a roster standpoint, I can't imagine it's bad enough now. Uh, you know, with the four year schools and us and the high schools. Uh, I guess high schools not so much because those guys just move on. It's not like they're staying another year. Yeah, I mean but it's uh, but like, I think you're really saying is like the high school seniors are coming up. You yeah, know, and they're the clear. same now, they're the same grade as the guys who were there last year, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just a log jam. And let alone what might happen in the winter when the transfer starts, you know, after the fall ball, you know, because of this log jam. Yeah, the high school senior players, I was talking like more from a coaching perspective. The high school coach really just doesn't have to deal with that. I mean, he lost the senior class, but those guys just kind of move up then. But the college, when you have guys that have an option, to come back, I mean, it, it affects a lot of things. I mean, number one, it affects the roster. It affects uh, the scholarship situation. Uh, and somebody's going to lose out. 
whether it's that uh, four-year-level, whether it's a senior, if they decide not to bring back for every year, or whether it's a freshman, they say, you know, well, hold up, you know, we're going to take care of the senior. With us, it's kind of, we get them both ends because we're bringing kids in plus we're moving them on. And how do you, like, so especially with you, like, you've seen, and you see a small sample size of your freshmen, you knew the sophomores, um, do you have any sophomore like, so I guess my thing is being able to project, like, hey, you got a really good freshman coming in, or, you know, this sophomore who was, like, maybe on the cusp, or maybe, you know, like, do you, do you find yourself having to project a little bit more than what you have and say, I got to give money to this, this younger guy, or it's like, no, like, I thought I was going to give you money, but now you know, we can't because this guy's coming back as a sophomore. I, I didn't change any. The kids that we had committed, uh, you know, incoming freshmen that we had committed before this all took place, I honored all of those scholarships. I nice. didn't change any of those. What it affected for me was from that point on. Uh, when I had, uh, first of all, I needed to find out, okay, who's coming back? Some, you know, the sophomore, you knew the freshmen were going to come back, and it, it, that'll be another story come the end of this year. How many of those? Right. I mean, now they have two years. You know, what are they going to do? Are they going to stay another year, or are they going to move on? Right. That's going to be the big hit for us. Um, you know, it was split pretty evenly uh, with our sophomores, the guys that moved on. Some kids were going to move on academically. And they uh, were not going to play at the four year round. So it was smart for those kids to move on. Sure. There's no sense coming back, you know, for long enough. I, I get that. Uh, there were a couple kids, you know, that had options. Some chose to go, some chose to stay. Uh, some had already made commitments and they honored those, uh, which I had no problem with. But, you know, they had to make sure the four year students were going to take them. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it's. The biggest thing with us is, is I had to see that, see how many were going to come back. And then I knew what our numbers looked like and how many we were going to I cut it off a lot earlier this year than normal. I still wouldn't turn, if something fell in my lap, I'm not going to, you know, I wouldn't turn it down. But financially, we were done. Yeah. We would take it to but there wasn't a lot of still we're going to do it. That's the big misnomer. A lot of they did extend the scholarship numbers okay. as far as how many LOIs you have to time to. Okay. But that still doesn't, you still have to have the money to do that. You know, right. you can say, oh, you can give 50 scholarships, but if you don't have the money, that number is irrelevant. Yeah, you might as well say 100. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to make sure, you know, our, our dollar figure did not change. So, you know, we're kind of where we always are as far as the dollars go. Okay. Okay. We did squeeze some kids out probably just because I had kids returning that I did not plan on returning that were receiving money. Mm-hmm. And I was going to honor that. You know, I'm not going to ask the kids to stay another year because, you know, you can stay, but, but I'm not going to do anything. I don't, I don't think that would work. Sure. No, I, I was thinking, and just and think, I guess in terms of that, you know, like we're looking at recruits and things like that. I mean, just, um, I guess it's something that we haven't talked too much about, you know, I mean, but um, it's just about recruiting, you know, in 20 years that you've been recruiting, um, you know, 
what what are some things that you really stick out to you? Like, how do you do your your most recruiting? Um, you know, I mean, because you guys play a ton in the spring, and you, know, you play you play a really always play a solid fall schedule. Those, you know, I guess. Um, do, where do you mostly do all your recruiting, and you know, what kind of recruits are you looking for? Well, we start with the local area. I've always felt well. Well, first of all, Washington County's good baseball, so I've always tried to start start there, and I think that's one of the functions of a community college. That's just my opinion. You know, we want to try to take care of the kids at home, the kids that want to keep playing, want to come to the ACC. We start there, uh, and it kind of spreads out from there. Um, a lot of it, like you said, we're playing in the same time the high school is playing, so it's hard to get to see a lot of games. Uh, you rely on uh, high school coaches. You rely on um, different people. I mean, you build up contacts over here. Um, you get kids repeatedly from different programs that you can trust. Um, some kids contact us. We follow up on that. I think that's increased a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Over the years, with the reaching out of the players. Yeah. Uh, that's increased a lot. And I get a lot of things. Some, some good, some bad. You know, sometimes you get overwhelmed with stuff. Yeah. Do you feel like that's good? Do you feel that's a good thing that kids are reaching out? I don't think it hurts any. I'd rather have the kid reach out than mom or dad. Absolutely. Um, no, I don't think, I think it's a good thing, you know, if I decide on that, uh, I have no problem with the kid reaching out and I think the kids need them to be honest. You know, sometimes you'll get emails or mainly emails, uh, and, and kids may, uh, exaggerate a little bit, you know, then, <laughs> then numbers, right. Um, 90 gets thrown around kind of loosely. Uh, the pitchers, uh, the kids need to be factual, you know, and then the coach will follow up. And, and you want it to be legit, even if it's not a number that you're totally comfortable with, because I'd rather have a kid tell me he's 82, 83 than tell me he's 82, 89, and I find out he's, because that's going to work against it. Sure. And the same way with uh, 60 and 40 times and velocity and, and things like that, you know, just just be honest. I mean, obviously, you're going to paint yourself in the best possible picture in your region. And I get that. Uh, but don't make yourself out, you know, something that you're not going to be able to back up when it's checked out. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a recognition. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather hear it from a player or a coach than mom and dad. And, and not saying that, you know, there's some parents that will be realistic, but. Um, Many times they're not. Right. Now you said that that's really changed, you know, um, since you started there, you know, more kids reaching out. Um, is that, is there anything else that's really changed since you've been there? So I just see that. Like, what else do you think has changed? Travel ball. Travel ball. Probably one of the biggest changes since I've been in coaching. When I first started, it was more, there, there was not a lot of travel ball. You know, you, you may have a team of kids, but a lot of it was, uh, you know, your local league, wherever they were. Um, over the course of time, travel ball exploded. 
And I, I would say that's the biggest change in the mountain. Traveling. So, have you seen anything like, so let's say in terms of you either managing your club, the game, practice, is there anything anything on on that end that might have changed? Sure. I mean, the uh, you know, I would say I'm trying to be as nice as I can here. <laughs> I would I would say parental expectations and delusions have skyrocketed in, in my time. I've talked to other coaches, you know, it's not just here, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think travel ball may have played into that some, uh, where, you know, parents are paying thousands of dollars to their kid get to college, looking for that college scholarship, and maybe they've gotten false promises that didn't pan out. And, uh, you know, then when they get to everybody looking, everybody thinks that they're worthy of a job. That's one of the big things I know that's changed. You know, before when, when I first started with recruiting things like that, um, sometimes it never even came up. And mm -hmm. if it, it would come up in the coach. Now people are not afraid. It's one of the first things, you know, in recruiting. It's a scholarship. Ask them like about money. Get, yeah. And I like to get to that at the end of the conversation because, first of all, you have to know what we're all about. Is it a good fit? You know, then if you're worthy of that scholarship money, the coach is definitely going to bring it up. Because if he wants you and thinks you're worthy of it, he's not going to not bring it up because sure. he wants to get you, especially if you have an option. But um, some kids, you know, not everybody's a scholarship player. And, sure. and definitely not in baseball at any level, just because the scholarships are limited. Probably nobody's on a full ride, even at the four-year level, or, or, you know, they, they split those up. And um, it kind of sets a bad tone, I think. Because uh, right away, you know, are you going to the highest bidder, or are you looking for the best fit for your son? Parents are a lot more over the top than what they used to be. And I, it, it's a culture that I don't think trending in the right way. Uh, I've talked with some travel ball coaches and, 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 and other coaches. And, and uh, it, it's not trending in, in a good direction. You know, it used to be, and, I, and you know, as well as I, you know, you know I'm old school. <laughs> um, you know, back when I played and all, I mean, my dad would never think about talking to players. You just didn't question stuff. You went out for the team. You had to make the team. You didn't buy your way on the team. Every, you know, you weren't guaranteed to play. Uh, kids got cut and the best made the team. And, you know, you had to earn your spot. You know, now everyone wants a guarantee, you know. And, and I even get kids I'll bring in, well, this school guarantees me I'm going to start at whatever position if I go. That's something I've never done, you know, I believe in, and, and I wouldn't do it. No matter how bad I want to do it, I'm not going to guarantee him a certain spot. Right. Uh, 
because a lot of things can change. You know, uh, you may in your mind, and I will tell them, if you do everything you're supposed to do, you know, do I think you'll probably be a starter? Yes. But they have to earn that. Right. And if you're handing out starting spots, what what motivation is there for the guys who don't hand it one hand? You know, they no matter what they do, they're not going to get it. You already promised Johnny he's going to start. And, you know, kids, a lot happens before opening day, and you have to then, you know, you have to take care of business in the classroom and, and off the field, plus kids, you know, do well at practice. Um, that's another thing. Kids come in looking for fair and fees. And, uh, you know, nothing's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I, I mean, I agree. I just, you just can't. I don't, I don't think any good coaches do set guarantees, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, a roster spot is basically, I guess, one of the guarantees that guys get, um, you know, certain levels. They can give them a roster spot, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, you get the chance to compete, you know, and sometimes it works out for you, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get hurt, you know. And, but so thinking about that, like, what kind of things have, you know, now in your, your, your years, you know, you've won over a thousand games just over in your career. Like, what is one of the things that maybe have stood the test of time, you know, like you continue to do them and they continue to stand true? When you start out, you know, you have a philosophy. I think you have to be true to yourself. Um, and I tell any coach starting out, you know, be uh, yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Uh, go with your gut. You have to be, you know, fair. You have to have standards. And you have to hold guys accountable. And you hold them, you know, each and every player accountable. I think some coaches get in trouble with uh, maybe the best players aren't held to the same standard as the guy that doesn't get to play much. And they get made an example of, but they're afraid to penalize the top guy because he may cost them a win that day and see how play. But you're going to have the respect of your team if you do that. Right. You have everyone accountable. And, and they have to see, you know, the guy that's the backup or the defense or the role player, he has to see that the guy that's starting is going to be held to the same standard he is. And you're going to get better production out of the entire roster if you do that. Right. A lot of it is just certain principles to live by. You know, I think you have to have them further. I think I've always told my guys to a high standard, you know, expect them to, to do things the right way. Uh, there's a lot of ways to get to from point A to point B, but you want to get there the right way. You know, um, the game. That's one thing that I've always told my guys to expect the game and really treat you, treat you well if you do that. They believe in the baseball gods. That's right. Uh, you know, karma, karma can be tough. <laughs> but, uh, if not, um, that's some of the things. A lot of it, you know, is, is a day-to-day basis. Uh, you try to just handle things as they come. Uh, and I think if you, if you treating everyone, I'm not going to say the same. Holding everyone to that standard. Because I've never been a believer either in treating everybody the same. You know, you hear that a lot of coaches, you have to treat everybody the same. I think that works. 
some some guys need a longer rope. There's no doubt about it. It's just their makeup. Right. You know some of the guys I'm talking about. Yeah, oh uh, yeah. Years, but not they're not bad kids. They're good players. But you have to understand that. You know, not everybody is the same. Um, what's fair to one guy may not be fair to the next guy. And you get into all sorts of circumstances. You don't know what you know what their home life is. You know, some guys need that they need that support. And I'm not saying you overlook things, but you have to have an appreciation, understanding of what's going on. Um, and, you know, kind of trying to get from there. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I just that's something I've always you know I've learned from you, and I think you definitely do. You definitely you can see that you. You just being fair is not equal, you know, and that's the thing, you know, and I something I've always took from you. And I think you're just being fair and respecting the game. Uh, you know, that's when you get that swing and bun or that little blue pit, you know, because you're going to hit on the screws and get out, you know, right. and you just keep this, keep your mindset the right way, respect the game, respect yourself, respect the team. And, you know, hopefully those things come out from the right end because freaking baseball, man, it's very frustrating. Yeah, it's, it's a tough game. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's built on failure. You know, it's really it's a crazy yeah. tough. You know, so that's the adjustment that a lot of kids have to make when they get to college level is how do they handle the failure? Because there's going to be failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, kid hit 400. In the big leagues, you hit 300. You're failing seven out of ten times. And they're making millions of dollars to do that. Now you use as an example to guys. Um, you can't expect to get hit every time up, and they may have batted five or six hundred in high school, depending on who's keeping the book, and they're not used to it, and they can't understand it. But I don't, I don't feel you know I did this and I did that in the past, and how they adjust to that is going to be key to their development because it, it's coming. You know, they, even the best players. We're making out, you know, over half the time. Absolutely. And, and, and like, so you're the first time, you know, I typically, you always talk about, like, I've always talked about, like, a transition year, you know, a kid from transition from JV to varsity, a little more failure, you know, from that varsity kid. And most of the guys that you're getting have always been right there, not experienced much failure, you know, like, how do you, how do you work with them through all that? Well, you try to get them to focus the frustration and the energy in the right way, whether that's to work harder, make adjustments, because, you know, you'll get those guys that want to take it out on the helmet. They want to take it out on the wall in the dugout, um, pop up. They don't want to run the ball out. I mean, you know, and it's it's something that uh, they personally have to make the adjustment and learn to deal with it. No matter what you tell them, you can't be screaming every bat. Don't throw the helmet. Don't, you know, run the ball out. If you have to do that, it's not going to work. You know, there's going to be a time that it happens. Um, and, and so, you know, you set penalties up to that and if it keeps going, then you have to do that. But, um, the biggest thing is, uh, and I always tell you know, my guys, you have to understand that, well, first of all, it's their own, they're embarrassing themselves, they're embarrassing me, the team, the program. And if they're looking to move on, 
you know, who you school doesn't want to do. You know, if you're going to go out there and, and act like a, a fool when you make an ounce, they're not going to deal with you. Because, you know, there's plenty of other guys who can give you a better. Why, why would they put up with you? And you never know who's there watching you that day. That shouldn't be the motivation. You should, it should be inside of you. You know, not sure. to do it. You have to worry about, okay, well, there's nobody here today, so I can get away. You know? mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of different things that you, you sit down and talk, and you hope it sinks in. Uh, and I've had that with guys, and, and we've had several times, but not always sinks in the first time. And sometimes you have to take away something valuable or important to them to get the point from. Usually that's playing time. Sure. Um, and then they, you, you know, you hope they get some action. Let's take some news. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. So, just like transitioning on to the game, like, you know, like, uh, you know, I've always had a just you know, and the conversation we've had about just game management and preparation and, you know, knowing the kind of preparation that I've done it, put in the games. And, you know, I just, we just wanted to see like, what kind of, um, like when you go to prepare for a game, let's say a spring game instead of a fall, cause that's totally different. Um, cause I know in the fall, you kind of line up your pitching and everything's kind of, not necessarily scripted, but you kind of know ahead of time. But like when it comes to a springtime game, game that matters, you know, um, what kind of preparation do you take before before a game? Myself, or are you talking about practice? Or? For yourself, like to manage the game. Well, I think the longer you coach, you get to know other coaches. That's an interesting. You know how other coaches, the team you're playing that day, how they play the game. Uh, some coaches like to butt more. Some will play for the big end. Uh, some are going to be on the umpires nonstop. Other guys are laid back. Uh, that can affect the way you react and, uh, and do things. I mean, that, that's one minor thing. Um, I try not to overemphasize one game over another, even though in our situation, there are games that technically are more important because they count in you know, the division one game. They count those reasons eating more than others. Right. The kids kind of know that. Uh, it's something you shouldn't have to tell them. Uh, you try to treat every game the same. I think the biggest thing is, is you try to keep things on an even keel. Uh, college baseball season, if we have a 56 game schedule, obviously every game can't be like the seventh inning of the World Series. Uh, and as far as coming from me as a coach, is a muscling situation because you're not going to get that 56 times. So if you're kind of even, and then you press those buttons when you need to. And you can, as a coach, you can tell when your team's flat. If there's a team you should be beating and you're down after three or four innings and you're going through the motion, then it's time to get them in the huddle after the third out. And, you know, you leave them out and you get you try to create a spark. And you kind of read the room with that, see what you're getting that particular day. And I think that's kind of what you have to do. 
it's the old one game at a time thing, but it's very true because not everybody brings a 56 great time, you know, intensely wise. Sure. So there's times where you have to kind of create that yourself. And it might be, it might be a situation where you lay down a couple bunks in an end or, or, you know, you do something kind of force things a little bit maybe on the basis just to try to get the ball rolling and then once you know everything's contagious you know good and bad play seems to be contagious in basketball you get a couple things going and then you get that big end and you do it more than you see what was some of like what was some of like is there anything that ever like surprised you like let's say you look back on and say like man that was a great call or um you know, like what was some of like maybe the best moments that you've had that you said that you just felt like you managed them really well and you know, looking back on it like um you know, I mean I know you you've mentioned sometimes where sometimes it just it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Maybe there was a time where you're like, Man, you thought you had it all worked out and it just didn't work out. Yeah, that unfortunately that happens a lot too. <laughs> you know, and, and coaches it's funny because I was thinking about some of this stuff that you're asking about now earlier. Um, as a coach, you always think back as a good time and, uh, and also the heartbreaking, you know. And it all comes down to you can do, as a coach, you can do everything that you should do. But if the kid doesn't come through, uh, it, it doesn't matter, you know. And sometimes where you, know, you try to put kids in the best possible situation, but they still have to perform. And it's true, I'm not saying, you know, it's a good fault, but I think the toughest thing is some changes when it comes that are so easy to second guess. And, and, and it's one of the toughest things that I think in coaching is the pitching team because, um, you know, the guy coming in has got to do the job. And you know how it is. If, if the pitcher comes in and doesn't do well, it's like, well, I don't know why he took him out, you know, the first guy. Yeah. I don't know why he took him out. He was doing okay. Right. You know, but if the kid comes in and does the job, it's a great move. Right. But you have to trust your gut, and you have to be able to live with the consequences. And you can't coach worrying about people second guess. Because they're going to second guess you no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, everything can work for every inning. The last inning, one decision didn't work, and all of a sudden, you know, what's even You can't coach that way. Um, sometimes you have to do things that might be a little unconventional, where you open yourself up to second guess. Where if it doesn't work, you know, and I, I, I've, I've done that before. I've, I've thought and figured, you know, uh, I'm going to have this guy feel so basic. He could say that I'm going to a hole because we got a good hitter there. But then the catcher throws the ball in left field and you get the run, and all of a sudden, oh man, that was a great move. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it all depends what happens. There's so many decisions you make over the years, and uh, you know, you hope that they work out. You know, hit and runs get paid off, um, suicide squeezes. I was thinking about one situation earlier today, and it was unconventional. And it was back in uh, LA, and we were playing in the district against Pitt. And we had a guy on first base with one out. And this is, 
I can't remember the score, but the nine hole hitter was up and there was already one out. And he was a good bunner. And it was a situation where nine times out of 10, you know, you don't want to sacrifice bunt there to give up an right. out. But we had a kid in the leadoff spot that ended up second team All American that year. And that green was the leadoff there, everybody at 400. So um, I sacrificed the nine hole hitter. He bunted, and he was a good bunter. He bunted the guy down to second. Now you got a guy second, two outs. So Matt Green come up, and he got a base hit. Throw the run, two out single, and we got a big run in that game. And it ended up being a one run game. And that's something that, you know, normally I wouldn't have done. But I think having the trust in that nine hole hitter to put down the bunt and get that kid in the score position, now you've got your leadoff hitter who. Average wise, he's the best hitter on the team. Average wise, uh, it set that up, you know, to get a run. Now, if he bunts the ball up in the air and they get a double play, or or he bunts it right back to the pitcher and they get the guy a second, you know, it looks like a dumb move. Like, why are they bunting? It's already one out. Mm-hmm. But you know, it paid off. And it's just something you have a gut feeling for, and you try to get the most out of that particular inning. Uh, it wasn't going to be a big one. Now, had we been playing a team that I thought we should have beat, you know, either, then you want to sit back and you're not going to give up an out and make two outs and only get one run. You want to get three or four in that one. You're playing a team that is good. But, I mean, you remember, Pitt was pretty good. They're, they're pretty good. They had a guy named Monty Chisenhall. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. pretty good. He wasn't bad. Yeah. He was at the play. Uh, yeah, he could play a little bit. So, you know, you do things like that and you hope that they work out, uh, you know, hit and runs and steals. And a lot of it is just a particular situation. And, you know, you play the odds, but you can't be consumed by the odds because there's always times where the element of surprise factors in. And sometimes it may not be a high percentage play, but the surprise factor works in your favor. And that's even beyond that lot. But pitching changes are tough because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're, you have to have faith. I know, I know sometimes I've had a pitch on the mound, it could be late in the game, and you know that he's probably about done. And I'm not saying that he's thrown too many pitches, but they're, they're on him pretty good. But you need one or two more hours. When you factor in the guy you have in the bullpen, is he better than the guy you have on the mound? And sometimes, you know, logic may say they need to make a pitching change. But you know in your heart, you're bringing in a guy that's not as good as the guy you have out there right now, so you ride it out. And you roll the dice that he's going to get the guys out, and if he does, great. If he doesn't, then road, you should have taken him out. Um, and if you do make the change, you have that phase that that guy's going to come in and do it now. Because then you second guess yourself. I wonder what, what would have happened if I'd have left Johnny in. You know, if you leave Johnny in, then you know what happened. Right. You know, I know I've done that before. But, and, and not a pitch ground situation. I mean, obviously, the kids just come out arm wise and you have to take them out. But mm-hmm. it's just a situation. You know. 
Yeah, it's almost like I always see it say, like, you know, this guy's 70% or 75% is better than this guy's 100%, you know? And, you know, yeah, he's not at 100%, but he's still even maybe possibly mentally still more stronger there, especially if he gets late in pressure situations or, you know, yeah, and this I mean, other. Physical makeup is in a lot of it, the mental makeup. You, you want a kid that, you know, if you got a kid out there that's a dream and he's a bulldog, you're more likely to stick with him longer. Because you know he's competing. If he gets beat, he gets beat. You know, you just get the staff to the other team. But you don't want to take him out and bring a kid in. Maybe he didn't really want to be out there, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. And, you know, and all of a sudden he can't throw a strike, and now you, you're warming up somebody else real quick and, and looking up a, a can of worms, you know, you just keep gas on the fire. Now, have you have you seen that with all your players? I mean, you've had players drafted out of there. You know, multiple you know, Division One guys and all kind of levels. Do you find that to be one of the similar characteristics between them? Do they all have that mental makeup, or is it mostly just physical, or is it half and half, or it just depends on the kid? Uh, no, not every kid has that. I think less and less has that. Um, I don't know how to word it. The competitiveness, and you played with some guys like that. You know, DJ Heiser was one of the biggest competitors probably I've, I've ever played. Mm-hmm. You know how DJ was on the mound. Oh, yeah. You had to beat him, and if you did, he was ready to fight you, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, 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 was, he was unbelievable as far as competing. Um, I don't know. I, I It seems like it's I don't know where it comes from, but kids don't seem to be as mentally strong as they used to be. And I don't know what the reason is for that. But I think um, kids competed harder uh, in the past than what they do nowadays. I think there's more of a, I don't know, we expect things to be handed to them more than what kids back in the day did, more than what I did when I played. So is that what's making some of the other kids like maybe more special than the other, the kids that do have it, the kids that are competitive yeah, and the will? Definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, you have to want it. And, and it's a shame because I see some kids, and I've told you this right to their face, you know, in meetings. Sometimes I think I want it more than they do. You see a kid that has has special ability, but they don't have the drive. They don't have the want to. And that's that's so frustrating for a coach. And you know a kid could be an elite player, but he chooses just to get by. Because he always got by with this natural ability. He was better than everybody else, all the levels coming up, and he never really had to work for it. So now when they get to a level where it's kind of a level playing field with everyone, you know, they're not used to working like the guy did to make himself that good. And they're, they, you know, they just, they don't know how to handle that. And they think they can show up and everything's going to work out because it always has. And that's, that's tough when you get a kid and, 
So maybe if the kid has real good abilities and you know he's not going to class, you know he's just setting himself up for failure. You can see it happening right before your eyes. And the longer you coach, you know you see all the red flags. I'm sure I don't know them all, but you know I've heard all the excuses and um, the red flags, and you can see it coming. You know you see it happening right before your eyes, and you try to set kids down and say, look, you know, this isn't going to work, and, and you know. And they have, but they have to want it. Right. If they want it. It's not going to happen. No, I agree. I agree. So, and then, have you have you seen a change in anyone? Like, let's say a kid came into you, um, you know, and maybe within two years. I mean, I know it's a short two years, but have you seen anybody really grow up in those two years? Because a lot of things can happen from you know, first second uh-huh. year. So have you yeah, seen any big changes? Yeah, you can see it go both ways. Yeah, I'd say the majority do grow up in some shape or form. It may not even show in their athletic ability on the field or production, but it might just be a maturity level to where they they understand everything better, whether it's baseball or just academics, or just general life. Um, you can see a maturity. And, and sometimes, you know, you see it even more afterwards, you know, when guys come back or, you know, they move on with their real life careers and, and guys get another stuff. Okay, I'm a school teacher now and I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm married, I have two kids, crazy and a dad. That's, that's the rewarding thing. Because very few are going to go on and make money in baseball. So really, you know, you, you keep in life as well as baseball. I mean, baseball, I'm sure what they have, you know, each day for but the life lessons that go along with that, they're going to keep with them the rest of their life. And, you know, you, you hope, you know, you hope it doesn't go that way. And, and some of that just has to do with age, you know, it's just a natural progression. You know, you're a lot smarter, the other you get the smarter you that's great yeah i couldn't agree more you know and it's that stuff in this you taught me when i was playing for you and coaching with you i mean it's just absolutely just such a you know because life's not fair man life's not fair life's gonna kick you you know things are gonna happen that you just you didn't deserve you didn't ask for them and it's just look look like now you know like we didn't ask for this kids not being able to play and i think our kids our game allows us to um, to handle it better than most, you know, because of all the failure we have in our game. That's probably true. So, Coach, what do you think? So, like, I mean, like, in 38 years, you know, not having a losing season, what allows you to be so consistent? Good players. <laughs> what? Good players. Good players. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones that want to lose the game. You know, you have to, you have to have good kids, good players. I never forget when I got hired, the athletic director at that time, Jim Brown, told me he listed three things: good players, good students, good person. You get two, uh, two out of the three, you're going to be all right. Uh, well, obviously, they have to be a, a decent student. That's another thing. You know. I, 
try to teach kids, I mean, that are going to do what you ask them to do. Um, we're not as talented as a lot of teams that we play. Um, so you have to overcome that. You know, we're limited to what we can get out. But we're still better than a lot of teams, you know, that are on our schedule. So you know, kind of take that and, and make the most of it. Consistency, I think success breeds success. So you get kids in the program, and even though they're only there two years, when they come in, they know that we're going to win games. And I tell them that on the recruiting, you know, we're going to win. You get kids come from all different high school programs, and some kids are just dying for that because they come from high school programs that don't win, you know. Mm. Uh, and you have to teach those kids how to win. Um, they're not used to it. But success breeds success. And like I said, you know, we go in, you know, uh, expecting to win each game that we play. Doesn't mean we will, but I think you have to go into the game expecting to win, not hoping to win. And you're going to play the game different if you expect to win or if you just hope to win. And we expect to win. And, you know, it's not going to happen every time, but you can't, you can't play scared. Um, you know, I would say to guys, you know, respect your opponent, but don't fear your opponent. And I believe in that. You know, you respect no matter no matter who you're playing out there, whether it's 30 and 0 or 0 and 30, you better respect them because you know you you're going to get beat if you don't. But, you know, I, I don't know if that, it's just. I mean, you have to have good players. I don't care who the coach is. If you don't have any talent at all, it's not going to matter. You're right, you know, you, You're not going to win consistently. You might get a few. Upset, but you have to have good players. You have to have a formula, a program, uh, you know, in place, uh, guidelines, boundaries, all those things, and uh, hold guys accountable. And it just kind of works itself out. And I think you know, like I know you're you're being you know, very humble too, because I, I, I one of the things that I just always loved about you and, and and I think just like I said with your game management like I mean I've seen you play you got players that hit typically sixth or seventh in the lineup and then you can kind of see the game playing where it's going to be like the next game this kid's batting third or fourth because you know he's going to hit you know he's going to do really well against his pitching um like Andrew Murray remember him the yeah. Canadian like yeah. I remember going to Southern Maryland like all of a sudden he's hitting like third or fourth in the lineup for us because we know he's hitting him off the water tower <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like you know like it was just things like that that you just you just had a knack for. You like there were pitchers that pitchers that for and for the most part that had no business throwing, but you knew when to put them in the game to be successful, whether it might be an inning or a batter, two innings or at a certain place, you know, and it allows for that, um, you know. And and some people didn't get that why they were doing that, but I mean we know when you people knew because that's how you were successful, and um, you know I think you do a, you do a, a a great job of that. Yep. So I just a lot of that, you know, it's just by feel and gut feeling, and, and you have to know your players, and you have to be able to trust your players uh, in those situations. And that's I tell my pitchers that a lot. You know, I have to be able to trust you in order to 
give you the ball. And um, it's the same way, you know, kids batting and fielding and you build up that trust. And, and you know what you have with a lot of kids, you know. You know what they can handle, what they can and, you know. And back to that bunt situation we talked about, mean, you know, there's a lot of times where they might be absolutely a sacrifice bunt situation. But you may have a kid up there that you know in your heart, the odds on him putting down a decent bunt are slim. Sacrifice fun and have the kid not be able to do it, and he, you know, or you do something else, and that's where you come in to like, okay, can the guy on first field second so where we don't have to go? Can we hit and run? You know, that kind of stuff plays into that. Where there's no, even though the book says this is a fun situation, it's stupid to do it if you know the result's not going to happen. You know, well, yeah, it was a bunch situation, but you wanted up in there and now, you know, you went back where you were with an extra out. So, you know, you get a feel for your players. Yeah, I think that's smart. Yeah, like I think it, that's a, that's a good saying. You know, those situations come up a lot where you're like, yeah, it makes sense to bunt here, but like this kid's not going to be able to bunt or, you know, he's not going to have the right mentality to do it. So you really got to you know, let them swing and try to figure something else out that we, you know, will be successful. But yeah, like you said, it's just stupid to go yeah. to, to do what the book might say or the right move because it's just not the, the kids, they're not having the right kid in the right spot to be successful there. Right, right. Uh, Skip, I mean, that was, that was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. So let's say, like, somebody wanted to, like, get in touch with you, man, just to kind of touch, touch baseball or about, like, you know, game management and things like that, you know, what's the best way to contact you? Well, probably through school email or, and my, my numbers also on the, on the website at uh, sbjennings and everytowncc.edu is one way to get a hold of me. You said uh, sbjennings at hagerstown? cc.edu. Okay. Yeah, and you said your what your um you said your cell phone's on the website like your the baseball website, it's, uh, league lineup yeah, website, that or the school, uh, I think on the on the school one it may be. I know my office number is probably on there. They can call that as well. Um, but yeah, the website is the league lineup dot com slash hcc hawks, right? Yes, that's baseball Yep. Yep. So yeah, we'll be sure to maybe send people there, you know, in case they want to reach out to you in some other way to talk, maybe some, you know, recruiting or talk some more game management and things like that. Or, um, or if they have a vaccine, if they, a vaccine would be good. If anybody has that, they can get a hold of it. That'd be great. You know, they, we all could use some of that. That or maybe somebody that throws it pretty well from the left side too would be nice. Yeah. That'll work. <laughs> That'll work. Well, hopefully we won't be having these conversations next March or April about, you know, what's going to happen next year. I know. And now we've got thousands of kids waiting to play somewhere. I'm hoping that doesn't. Yeah, and I honestly think it just, it just goes to show, like, how important, you know, like, sports are. It's more than just playing a game. Uh, you know? I've been going nuts. My wife, my wife's ready to kick me out of the house. I mean, it's, it's at least – Major League Baseball comes back tomorrow, you know, and it's not the same, you know, but it's better than nothing. Absolutely. 
you know, some of the sports. I mean, yeah, I, I can't function without sports. That's, I uh, very limited interest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think Maryland, you know, Maryland football, who knows what's going to happen there? You know, now you get a Maryland football games in the fall. Yeah, no. And the thing of it is, not, not, in a funny manner, it's the financial implications. If college football doesn't happen, the athletic departments across the country are going to be devastated. I, I saw something yesterday that Maryland would lose $59 million if college football doesn't happen. Mm. They get like 54 from the Big Ten, um, Big Ten television contract. Yeah, the network, the yeah. Best, the best contract. The Big Ten has the best TV package in the country of all the colleges. But I mean, what what happens? You know, it's hard to replace $59 million. And some of these schools that probably have a little message built up, you know, they, they draw 100,000 people a game, you know, for the last however many years. And I'm sure that they can get by maybe one year. But, you know, Maryland football is like 30 to 40,000 games as far as uh, attendance for football. But other sports are going to pay the price. That, that's the big thing, you know, because college football runs a lot of athletic departments. Oh, for sure. And they already lost the money on the college uh, basketball tournament, you know, which is millions and bill, well, billions of dollars. That is lost by not having March Madness. Right. And now they lost the conference on a plus the NCAA thing. And if you throw a lost football season on that, I mean, it's, it's bad news. Yeah, it is. You're going to see a lot of what Olympic sports, you know, it's like sports and, and, you know, fall by the wayside. And then you run into Title IX issues. So if you're cutting this sport, you have to cut this, you know. Couple months for it. Yeah, it's a big ripple effect. Hopefully, things can. I mean, I don't know if they'll all be back to normal, you know, but the way things were, but hopefully, we get some type of relief here soon. I, I'm, I'm one of these. I'm very optimistic. I mean, I think it can be done with precautions and things like that. I mean, I see baseball kids just play it all summer. You know, we're worried about what we can do in the fall, and kids, kids don't quite grasp that. Because yeah. they've been playing all summer, and they're like, you know, it's basically no restrictions. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a liability thing, you know, when you get into a school situation. Yeah, I mean, there's people that, they're not organizations, you know, like you talk about yeah. a school and organization, you know, like it's just very different, you know, it's just extremely yeah, different. I'm worried about what happens, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole other ballgame, and uh, I'm just hoping it just works out. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just very different, you know, but uh, Coach, I can't thank you enough, man, for taking some time here today, and, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, that's for sure. No problem, sir. Good talking to you. Yeah, man. So, that's, uh, I'm sure we'll, sure we'll have another, plenty more conversations, but it's nice to finally record one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jay. All right, Skip. I'll be talking to you. Good luck with everything. Thanks, man. Uh-huh. See Bye. you. Wow, some great information from Coach Scott Jennings. Again, one of my mentors from Hagerstown Community College. Hopefully you were able to get some valuable information. I know I've learned a ton from Coach Jennings. 
Um, I loved how he just talks about how we were respecting the game, how when you respect the game, the game rewards you in the end. Be fair, but not equal. Have your standards and hold kids accountable to them. Be true to yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Very easy to do when you start out coaching. So you got to start out somewhere. But can to be true to yourself. And I and those are the words that just stay ring, ring true to me. As I continue to try to be better as a coach, as a teacher, as a person. I love you talk about trusting your gut. Not to play the odds, but not be consumed by them. I love how he always gives credit to the players. You gotta have great players. John, like the legendary coach John Wood said, number one, you gotta have talent. You gotta have the players. He's he's absolutely right there. He's another great coach. And how success breeds success. You know, you you're expecting to win. You're teaching kids how to win, not hoping to win. And we've we've. Don't fear our opponent. We respect them because anybody on any given day can get beat. So you respect your teammate. You respect your opponents. You don't fear them. So please reach out to Coach Jennings if you have any other questions for him. I'd like to contact him. It's a wealth of knowledge. Um, tremendous amount of experience. And the best way is probably his email, sbjennings, J-E-N-N-I-N-I. GS SB Jennings at HagerstownCC.edu. You can check out his website for Hagerstown Community College Hawks at www.leaguelineup.com slash HCC Hawks. You'll find more information to contact him there too if you'd like to. Please reach out to him in any way and please reach out to me if you have any feedback for us for how to do the podcast, make it a little bit better. If you have anybody that you think might be a great guest for us here on the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast, where again, we're looking not only to Continue to make guys better baseball players physically, but also mentally. But also mentally because we know that they are going to be a person, a man, longer than they are going to be a baseball player. And it's important for us to teach those lessons that our game, baseball, teaches us so well. So again, I want to thank you for joining us. Hopefully you continue enjoying us. Please share share the podcast with someone. Hopefully they enjoyed it. I want to thank you guys. We've had over a 1,000 downloads so far, and let's... Make it happen for some more. So I'm um, just thank you for this journey, and I'm glad we can help people out and find some value in what we're doing each week. So until next week, I'm Trey Cobb. Feel free to reach out to me at TreyTCobb at gmail.com, and keep getting better.